So today on the Tough Juice Podcast, I had a great friend, none other than the queen of, I feel like, all of networks when you're talking about platforms and giving wealth and knowledge, Carrie Champion. We was officially rolling with a champion. She talked about all types of things, talking about her grind, her hustle, how she made it to the top, how she sustains, how she has longevity in this space, and most importantly, she gave a seed of information. I don't even want to give it up. You got to listen. Just listen. Open your hearts, open your ears, and listen to this wealth of knowledge. Only here on the Tough Juice Podcast. Subscribe to the Tough Juice Podcast on the Himalaya app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. They don't write their text. Yeah, well, oh, so, okay. So if I use the typewriter and I would be like, type you something and found like, ink somewhere? No, if like, you, like, you did a handwritten 10-page letter, like, I get a lot of jailhouse letters at work, which I, I love. I read them for entertainment. Whoa, people write you from jail? Hell yeah. What they mean? And you read them? Yes, I get cards and letters. I get all kind of nice stuff. They're very sweet. It's a very loyal fan base. What are you talking about? Like, I'd be like, oh, thank you. I don't read it. I don't write back. So obviously. it's not a correctional facility in America without... Coast to coast on. I don't know that, but I do know me. Jamel and I used to compare our jailhouse letters. Like it was just, it would just be, it would be fun. Like it's, I like, I think that's special. You're taking time out of your day, whatever that means. Is that right? You're not taking time because all you got <laughs> is time. That's what I'm saying. Like they're lonely. Everybody need love. The facts. Yeah, everybody needs love, right? True that. Okay, I miss you. What's going on with you? Everything. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Like, Likewise. for real. Like, for real, for real. He hates compliments, but, like, I'm really proud of you. So let's talk about a street being named after you. That's when you you are officially, you've made it. Let's talk about a street. I wear, I'm waiting for my street. Coming after you at some point at, very soon. In the near future, let's hope, right? No, I would say, like, when you think about, and I always talk about just, like, how we grew up in the hood, like, and my head very different than your head, but like just my mom and me. Like if I think about my life and where I am today, I would never ever think, well, yes, I would, that's a lie. But I wouldn't think that it would be so attainable. Does that make sense? Because when you're hungry, you just want more and more and more. You can't, you can't stop it. Yeah, so talk about that. Like talk about your beginning and talk about, you know, growing up and, and where you at now. Like, talk about that so, evolution. I grew up in, I say LA, but it's Pasadena, but it's still LA County. So I'll, I'm one of like the few people you'll meet who, who have actually lived here most of their lives. Um, and it's just me and my mom. I, I had a relationship with my dad early on until I was like maybe, I don't know, seven. You know, they vaguely remember that relationship. And then my mother, Oh, this is so funny. She's just a hustler. She got a, a really good job working at this particular company, and she just worked her way up. She barely had a, a GED, and she just worked her way up, and she was very successful because it was a sales company. And she was able to move from, we lived um, off of La Cienega in Cadillac, which is considered West LA by Hamilton High School. And she moved from there to Pasadena because she was like, it's just a better environment for me. She moved because she wanted me to live in a better environment. Because when I was a kid, I thought everybody got pregnant when they were 18. Well, you're pregnant, you're 18, yeah. have a kid, right? Yeah. I, had my, I, I had a child when I was 14 years old. So, so I I, everybody around me was just popping out. My cousins were pregnant. I was like, that's what you do, like, right? And then um, when I said that to my mom, that really disturbed her. So we moved to Pasadena after, you know, a little bit of rigmarole. And then I grew up in Pasadena. And that just changed my whole trajectory. Because it was a whole, it was gardens and flowers. And it wasn't a concrete jungle. And... I got to participate in after-school activities. My mom was dropping me off at school. I wasn't getting bused to school. It was just a whole new 
world to me, unlike what I knew. And then, um, and then people just were able to take a little more time and, and help develop me as a kid. And that's when I found out that I wanted to, I knew like when I was a kid kid, like I wanted to be Oprah. I saw this black lady on TV and I was like, that looks like my auntie. Like I want to do whatever that is, auntie. whatever she doing, <laughs> I want to do it. Like it was just so, it just connected with me. And I'm like, whatever she's doing, I like it. And then we would, and then we had different, you know, people in our neighborhood that were our, on our local news that were news anchors, and I thought that was amazing. I didn't know why I was so fascinated with it, but I did just as a little kid. And then the older I got, the more I was, you know, just able to have a voice in different situations. I remember, I remember the riots in LA, and I was, yeah, it's crazy. And I remember just being in school and my mother coming to pick me up and like, we got to go get your grandmother. So we drove all the way from Pasadena to downtown LA to pick up my grandmother. Through everything. Just, through everything. Because she doesn't drive. And that's all we cared about was just making sure she was safe. And so it was crazy. The city was just on fire with smoke. It was chaos. People were running across the street. My mom almost hit like 10 people on the way from Pasadena to pick up my grandmother um, in downtown LA at the hospital she worked at. And then the next day... We still had school, and they wanted us to talk about it. And so to me, that was like my moment. I was like, oh, I didn't even know it, but I was just sharing my experience. And then one of the teachers pulled me aside and was just like, you have a voice, and you should make sure you use it. And that just already connected everything I already wanted to do, because I was going to be Oprah. Yeah. And then um, and that was it. I never just, I never looked back. I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. But it wasn't that simple. Like, oh, well, it was no. a lot of trial and error, right? No, heck no. My first job was in West Virginia. I was like a one-man band. So I was like carrying the camera and the tripod, and I lived in this small town. I was learning how to edit, like in point, out point. And people behind the scenes will appreciate this. And then I had a tripod, and you have to put, make sure the red bubble was in the center so my camera would be stable. And I was just trekking my way around West Virginia, shooting my own packages, doing everything. Before it was, you know, popular to be uh, an MMJ, as they call it, a one-man band. And um, once I did it, like the first few times, I just fell in love with it. It was beautiful, the most beautiful. Telling a story was the most beautiful thing I had ever done in my entire life, and did, I felt so accomplished. Did you ever run into like any adversity when you're trying to tell the story, like in West Virginia? Heck yeah! Like a from from a black perspective, for sure. They call people colored. Like the mayor was like, "Do you want to meet our colored girl?" And I was like. <laughs> You're who? And she's like, my colored girl. And she's That's how and they I'm, address you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, because I'm colored. I didn't know. Because I'm coming from UCLA, LA, and I'm in West Virginia, and she's using colored in 2000. And I'm all like, well, wait a second. What world are it's we in? It's not colored TV girl. Yeah. It's just It's my colored color girl. girl. You guys should just get along. That colored girl and that colored girl. And I didn't, I didn't take offense to it, but I was just like, okay. I didn't really even let it register. I thought it was funny. And then as I started to like make my way through this business, I was just like, there are no people or there's no room to be myself, like authentically. Like if I was at work and I got mad, it scared people. Like a black woman getting mad is a scary thing as opposed to just somebody else crying. Cause my anger is not going to be me crying. It's going to be me telling you what I feel. Cause that's all I know. There's strong women around me speaking up. Like, so, that makes sense. So how have you balanced that on every platform along the way that you've been on? I don't think I've balanced it at all. I think it gets me in trouble to this day. I think if you were to put some truth serum in people's, you know, arms at work, they'd be like, she get on my damn nerves. Uh, I don't, it's hard, because I don't know how to be anything else, right? So here's the balance. I, um, not having a father, makes it hard for me to respect male authority, right? So I'm aware of that now, 
right? After like going to therapy and figuring it out. I'm aware of that now. So when I interact with these men at my job who are already living a very entitled life, or men in general, I work with a bunch of men. Like very, it's a very different world. Like you don't need a woman in sports. You don't need a woman to tell you what to do. I'm very um, assertive. That makes people uncomfortable. So I learn to balance it and check my ego at the door when I feel like it's something that doesn't matter. Like you gotta just take your, your wins and losses. You'd be like, that's not worth the fight. That's not me worth popping off. That's not, that's not worth it. And that takes, and that took me a long time. I'm still learning that. Yeah. Still learning that to this moment. So you being sure of yourself as a, a queen in this business is offensive to other people? Of course. They hate it. They're like, she make me sick. Now, I do believe, this is going to get me in so much trouble for even saying this, but I do believe that, um, well, one, when I was at ESPN, first, I was in local news for a very long time. And then I got my very first job in terms of national television on ESPN working on this show called First Take. And that's a crazy platform. I was yeah. working with Skip and Stephen A. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I mean, at the height of everything. Yeah, that show was, was like, before it was, it, that, yeah. but at that moment, it was like trajectory, right? So I had, I remember, this is how I knew the show was a big deal. Like, I was on that show for a month. I had, it was like when social media was really popular. I was on that show for a month. I had 500 followers the first, like my first week. By the end of the month, I had like 30,000 followers. Because that's how many people were watching that show at the time, is how popular it was. And and we had all these, I mean, every damn day I felt like it was a controversy. It was somebody calling RG3 a cornball brother. It was, you know, somebody maybe saying the N-word. It was crazy. I was I was under so much stress. I didn't know what I got myself into. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it was just crazy. And then I learned that if I had to play with them, like, I was a rook. If I had to play with them, I had to be tough, too. I couldn't punk out. Like, I couldn't be out there like, sorry, Skip, sorry, Steven. You know, they weren't going to respect it. I mean, they really wouldn't respect it. I mean, they were very hardcore. Say what you want about them. They worked really hard. They had um, a really good work ethic. I learned a lot of that from them, but they don't want me to be a punk. They want me to sit there and be like, oh, okay, thank you. So you immediately know, like, you recognize your platform with the. 30,000 followers. Like in two seconds. Like I was like, what is this whole social media thing? And then people telling me, I hate you, I hate you. It was so much coming at me at once. It was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, I think you've mastered the art of evolving in this space like better than anyone. What do you mean? This, this, you know, like every couple years, you're just reinventing yourself mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. You know, this, it's amazing to watch from oh, afar and then knowing you personally, that. like, is is that strategically planned or is that something that just happens survival. organically? Well, yeah, it's strategic and it's survival. Like you, every day is somebody different in this business trying to do something you've done already and do it a different way. I don't really worry about other people though. What I try to do for me is do things that make me happy or challenge myself and do things that I've never done before. So like, I don't know, like when I was on first take, I was there for two and a half years. I mean, no, three. It was three years. And I was like, I'm, I want off the show. Like I was I was very strategic. That was strategic. I was like, I have to leave. I want to be able to talk. I want to be able to have a platform. I want to be able to share my own thoughts. This is really their show. And it's great that it's their show because they were great at it. It's their show. And I'm, I was all good with it. But I was like, I want to try something. Um, and that's scary in itself. So I was like, I want to try Sports Center, And that's another, I didn't even, you have to realize when I say I want to try something and I end up doing it, I have no idea what the hell I'm getting myself into. I just be like, all right, let's see what happens. And so I um, remember just somebody, You all you need is one yes. And my one yes was this guy named Rob and Rob had my back and he made sure that I succeeded. Like, cause everybody could give you a yes, but you got to have different things in place to help you succeed. Like he, he, he believed in me, but you got to have people in place to help you do well and catch you because it's a tough game. 
And, um, and then after that, I was like, okay, what else can I do? Like you just always, I'm looking for, I'm always looking for new challenges. Well, okay, I've, I've done well here and I don't wanna get too comfortable or if I am too comfortable, let me try another thing. So when I started doing um, Titan games with The Rock, like that's a whole nother skill set that I didn't, you know, really have. And 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 you could be intimidated working with this guy because he's who he is, but just the nicest man in the world. I've I've really learned when people are truly successful, they're very humble and they realize who they are. Like he, I, I learned a lot of humility from him and how he handled himself on set and how you treated people. I was like, that's. I mean, disrespect for that. Yeah, there's so many layers to you, and I want to rewind and go back to like college. You know, being at UCLA, uh -huh. you worked as what a journalist or something. I with... had fifteen thousand jobs because I was poor, so <laughs> I was full like fifteen thousand jobs. So I had, um, I worked. <laughs> I can, I don't even. Do, where do I begin? Mode. Listen, I, I what was I gonna do? I was like, I was poor. I, when I tell you, my mom didn't have any money. I had to. I had student loans. I had financial aid. I and I had to eat and and do whatever I wanted to do. I'm not kidding when I say I had to eat. I wasn't like poverty poor, but yeah. you know, um, I worked at the student store as a security guard. Oh wow! Uh huh. I could arrest you right now. Not really, um, but you know the person. Do that, you know takedown tactics? No, I listen. I'd be like, whoa, no. <laughs> um, you know the person like when you try on clothes and you give them like a four, like four items for you, two yeah. items for you. That was my job. <laughs> Sorry. You kept track of everything. Yeah. I, well, no, I was running my mouth talking. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, hey, what y'all do? Oh, okay. Here are your two. Here's your two items. Like I wasn't even paying attention, but that was like you go to this board and you saw all these different jobs that paid a certain amount of money, and that one paid like eleven dollars an hour, and I was like, oh. what? I'm rich. Let me get that job. Then there was another job where I was like working admin. I now that I look back on it, I was a horrible worker. Like because I would just talk all the time. I wouldn't even do my job. I do, like one time I was working and I, I was sleeping and my boss walked in on me taking a nap. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, my bad. I'm tired. I hung out late. But I had a lot of different jobs. I was just always hustling. I think that's probably where why I always like to work too now in general. But I just knew I needed money. Like I was like, whatever it takes, however, whatever it takes to, to make these jobs. But at the same time, I worked at the Daily Bruin. But that wasn't a paid job. That was um, like an internship. And they allowed me to write different stories on campus. So I would go around and write about like the student store staying open late, you know, during finals or whatever it may be, or the quarter system, which is what UCLA is on. I would write all these really silly stories that I remember. Um, I had no idea what I was doing in the the editor, her name was Matea Gold at the time. Now she is a big time writer for the New York Times, but she um, wrote, she she went over one of my papers and she was, or one of my articles and she just ripped it apart. She's like, this is, what is this? Destroyed what is, it. Yeah, she was like, what is this? Like, it was like, let me help you. And I was just like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I was totally out of my element, but I, again, I tried it. No matter what, I'm just always like, try it, try it, try it. Like, you have to try it. I am, I, I probably, the only thing I fear, um, is like tangibly fear is drowning like i think that but i don't fear anything i try anything who was your mentors like back then at that time like you just said somebody just ripped apart your ideas and your dreams i didn't have any mentors i did you had no mentors that's you know what that's and that's why we'll get to that later yes. but i had no mentors i would just i was just figuring it out i wish somebody would have pulled me aside and been like you talk too loud or um, your skirts are too short. You can't be working in here with your skirts. Trim your thoughts. Yeah, yeah trim your thoughts whatever. or you behaving. Rick I just wish someone kept it real with me. I would have, 
I would have saved myself a lot of pain, but yeah, no, I didn't have one, unfortunately. Nothing that I can, no one that I can call and say, hey, can you help me? And feel like they would honestly help me. Yeah, and you, I, I read somewhere that you was involved in the tennis area too, in the tennis space where yeah. you was, uh, you know, calling, you know, matches and things like that. Yeah, why, that was funny. Why did you go in that space? Because I got fired. <laughs> Anybody get fired? The best thing that ever happens to you. I got fired in Atlanta for maybe cursing on air, which I didn't. I just like to say that every single for time. For the record, she for did the not record. swear. I do cuss, damn it, but I wasn't cussing that day. Um, it's just I was. I, I was, got caught about a week ago too. So yeah, I, I listen. I, I know it happens. The feeling. But I, but I was a, again. I was a pain, and I had mastered you know my thoughts in public spaces while at work. So I'm pretty sure they were trying to get rid of me. But I. Um, I got fired and then I was like, oh, I need a job. So I was in Atlanta and I was like, oh, I, gotta, I, gotta, I got my job back, kinda. They let me come back until my contract was up, which was like, you know, three months later. Was that their way of telling you sorry or they made a mistake and it wasn't you? Well, because they knew I didn't curse. And they okay. just, and it right. was in Atlanta, you know, Atlanta's a, like I had a lot of people in the community on my side. That's a black city. They yeah, were like, heavy. that's crazy. They, what are you doing? How you fired her for all we this? People, people, you know, getting DUIs and sleeping with people. Like how are you getting fired for maybe cursing on the air? It was ridiculous. And so anyway, they gave me my job back. I had to move because I knew again, I had to reinvent myself. Um, and then I would just, I came back home to LA and I was doing all these odd jobs. Like I was doing, like TV, like reporter roles on different shows, like CSI. I play, I play a reporter. It was easy to do that. Yeah, I was just trying to. I was just hustling. I had like no income. I was so, I was so low and depressed because I was on TV my whole adult life, and now I don't have a job. I was just taking little jobs here and there. I was doing telemarketing, and I was just so. Finally, my agent called and he was like, "Oh, they're looking for a host at the Tennis Channel." Did you know anything about tennis? Hell no, I didn't know anything about tennis. I don't know shit about tennis. Just for the record, I don't think nobody from the African American no. community knew anything about tennis besides Hell Arthur no. Ashe. Oh, and Venus and Serena at the yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, even then, and Richard Williams. Um, but no, hell no. And so I was, um, <laughs> I went to go audition. <laughs> I'm laughing because. I was reading a teleprompter and these Russian names were like like this, like wrapped around the teleprompter. I was like, that's rude as fuck. Like, I was yeah. like, I don't know what this how name I'm gonna is. Get through that? And then they were like, oh, we'll help you with it. They didn't even know how to pronounce the names. I remember that. I was like, how are you gonna help me pronounce Svetlana Kuznetsova? At the time it was like, oh, what? But then I would have got fired on spot. No, I didn't know. I had, but the, I heard the lady go, <laughs> the lady was like, who was doing auditions, she was like, I like her name. I think she should get the job because she didn't know I heard her say it. She's like, I just like her last name. I think it makes sense to hire her. And I was like, okay, well, shit, I hope I get it, right? And then I ended up getting it with, they hired two other girls as well. And then we would do what we call the court report. I love Tennis Channel to this day, I want to tell you, because they really did give me my, my start in sports, a true start. And then um, I just worked there for two years. And then again, I had this idea. I was like, I should work at ESPN, huh? Literally, I said that, just like it was down the street. And then um, I flew myself out to ESPN and then the rest was that. Yeah. Did you always see beyond, like, so you see Venus and Serena out there on the, the tennis court. Did you see beyond the trophies when you're talking about our culture and our influence? No, not no. at the time, no. I felt very isolated. I, can, I have a whole new respect for Venus and Serena. So when I lived in Florida, which was one of my many jobs as a reporter, I would bump into them and I always thought they were very isolated and not always as social. And I was like, dang, I wonder why they like that. And Richard was just, their dad at the time was, he, he just was his own dude and I never understood why. And then when I started working in tennis, I understood why. It's a very, um, you know, first of all, it's not 
the only Americans they really loved at the time were the men, right? Like Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras. They loved those guys. Andy Roddick, like they loved those guys. Like the women didn't have the love, period, that the men do in the sport, but let alone these American women and let alone these American women that had beads and braids in their hair. I won't cut you off, but is it still that way you feel nah, in, in the game? In tennis, I think it's better. I think it's better. I think they don't respect Serena the way they should. I yeah. think that whether you like her or not, you can't help but to love what she's done for the game. You don't love Tiger, but you know what he does for the sport. So I think Serena has 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 made that that sport so popular. She's opened the door and created space for so many other young girls to come after her mm. that would not have been interested in tennis, whether they were black or brown, right? And I don't know if she is as loved because sometimes it's a popularity contest, right? So it's like, Kobe's never gonna really be considered the GOAT because he wasn't very popular, right? But if he was really friendly and kind and smiled, I think maybe he'd be in there, right? Easy. I think Easy. I think, I think, think people would have him in that conversation. Like, MJ's the GOAT because he didn't have social media, you know what I mean? My opinion, these are all hot takes, but like... It's my opinion too. I, you know I'm a Laker fan, I'm biased. <laughs> so. And that's where you stand with it. They, okay. At me tomorrow. I don't care. So, fast forward from that situation, and then going to one of your big breakthroughs, sitting down with Cam Newton. Like, what Oof. was that moment like? You want to know the backstory on that? I, I would love to hear the backstory on that. Yo, so I was on um, first take, and I wanted to again get off. <laughs> like, the goal was to do something different. And I went to a friend of mine. We shared the same agency, not same agent, okay. but same agency. I was like, hey, do you think he'll talk to me? And he was like, yeah, I'll see what he, yeah. He my girl, I'll see what he do. But why didn't you think he'll talk to you? Because Cam wasn't talking to anybody at the time. Just okay. you remember all the cloud of controversy, what happened with him in college, how he got in the league. He wasn't talking to me. He hated the media, the way they did his dad. Like, I understood, I understood, or the way he thought they did his father. I understood every reason why. His father couldn't even watch him win the Heisman. He just had a chip on his shoulder. I get it. I, like, I understand exactly where he's coming from. So he wasn't talking to anybody, let alone ESPN. And you know, just by grace, and I, it was literally grace. They were like, "Yeah, he'll talk to you." And I was like, "Okay." So I was working with the E60 crew, um, and they put me with a more seasoned crew because this was my first real story that I ever did in terms of for ESPN, like my sit-down feature. And um, I remember just thinking, you know, when you get something good, like you're like, oh, "I don't know if he," uh oh. Like, I just felt like there was just a lot. He was very candid, and I was like, oh. In my mind, I was just thinking, wow, I love this, but I don't know if he knows that he is telling me all of this. Because at one point during the interview, his people got up and walked away. Normally, they stay and kind of walk behind the camera, look at you like, what you doing? <laughs> you know, don't say those things. And that was the first time he talked about everything that happened in college. Um, and I, I felt like we put a fair story together. There were things that I wish I could have done differently, but sometimes you're outruled editorially. And I was still so new, I didn't know what I could enforce. It's that fine balance, right, of being in a world where you don't know it, and yeah. you're just trying to figure it out. Um, How did you prepare for that interview? I just, I did a lot of research on who he was, what he went through, his parents. I knew his father had meant a lot to him. I know his father's word at that time, because I don't know if it's still the same. He seems to come into his own now, but at the time, he was so young, his father and his brother meant everything. like. Everything had to go through the father. Like at that time, he's he molded Cam, you know. So at that time, it was very important. So I just, I just kind of did my homework on where they came from and 
who his father was, and his father was had to feel comfortable. Again, his father felt comfortable talking to me, and he had to feel that. Same with every everything. Just you know, it's like that with a lot of people. A lot of these these players when they're really young, and their parents have a lot of say over how they move. Uh, until they come into their own. So that's how I prepared. I just made sure I knew everything about him. I knew both sides. I asked very fair questions. They weren't like gotcha questions. They were just very fair. Like, fair questions. Like, Cam, you haven't talked about this. You should talk about this. He was like, you're right. Here's my story. And he said it. And you're like, oh, okay, good. He's talking about it. How are you so relatable? Like, for people to be able to... like, You think I am? It, you are, because I, I find myself putting my guard down and just talking to He's you like, immediately. This before we came homies and all that. I'm just saying, like, I just, I came around you. I was like, what you want to know? <laughs> I need your social, the last four. I need your mom's maiden name. I need the access to your, I'm kidding. Uh, I think because I think if you can get past what you, the whatever my exterior is, you, you get that I'm just real. Like, I'm not. Just authentic. Right, I'm not a, oh, I'm so amazing. You're like, I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, what's up? Like, and it's not, it's just who I am. I don't know any other way to be. That I attribute a lot to my mother and how I grew up. She made sure I lived in both worlds. Like, I, I knew nice stuff. I knew I knew things that weren't so nice. Yeah, great balance. Yeah, I, yeah. She was like uptown, downtown. I can, I can, I call hopping in and hopping out. I can do both. <laughs> um, but I, at the end of the day, I think um, re real people like to talk to real people. Like you know, genuinely, this person isn't out to get you or trying to do something different. I don't. I don't know if that is true for everybody. Like I don't know if that's true for all my colleagues, and they may not be real, but they may get all the interviews. Who knows? I don't know. Well, I don't know how that works, but I do feel very um, comfortable sharing my my story and talking to them and being myself. So maybe that helps. As a friend, I feel like the biggest moment, like for me, just watching you you know, from a distance and always been a fan. This is before we even became homies was just seeing you in the Uber rolling with uh, rolling a with moment. a champion with LeBron James and Kevin Durant, two of the best players ever to play the game of basketball. Like how did that like how did that come about and how did that happen? That was crazy. To me, they're like, I have like a couple of career highlights that I'd be like, whoa, when I think, because usually I just do stuff and keep moving. But that was, again, that was when LeBron started talking, I was like, okay, this is about to be crazy. Like, it was, he was so good that day, meaning he was so honest. I had never seen him so candid. Um, a friend of mine is, at the time, she was the chief marketing officer for um, Uber. Her name is Bozema St. John. Um, and she just came from Apple, Apple Music, and they hired her, and she was like, you know, I feel like we should do, one of my campaigns should be like an Uber, like where you're interviewing athletes in a car. Like, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I was just like, yeah, rolling with the champion. Like, we're just going back and forth over titles, just kicking it around. She's like, come to my office on Monday. This is crazy. This is how that works. I was like, sure, come to your office on Monday. I thought I was about to be sitting in like office just snack, eating chips, snacking with her. It was like a room full of people. They're putting ideas together. We're conference calling people in from New York and all this kind of stuff. She's like, yeah, I'd like to start this ASAP. Okay, guys, let's just get this contract out to carry it. I was just watching her boss. Just like She was just bossing and I was like, damn. And then so they gave her three companies she could work with. And she was like, hmm. different uh, production companies. She's like, I, I kind of want to work with a colleague of mine named Maverick at Uninterrupted. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. I love I love that, right? So we were doing a series, right? It wasn't just LeBron and KD. That was like, that came at the, the end. But we just did a series. We did one with Lonzo and Kyle Kuzma. Mm -hmm. 
We did one with Billups, Chauncey Billups. We did one with Paul Pierce. That was good. And then um, we did one with DeAndre, and then DeAndre Jordan. And then we got a call that for the there was this this movement happening, and they wanted to LeBron wanted to do something for like Martin Luther King Jr. holiday or something like that. And they were like, it was like Friday. She's like, can you be in Cleveland? Sunday. I was like, absolutely. Like, it was crazy. Like, this is two seconds. We all got on a conference call. We were like, let's make it happen. And it just went down like that. No, and then so we just, they were prepared. They had like 87 questions. They were like, Carrie, these are all the 87 questions, the quick 87 questions we're going to give to LeBron and Katie. I was like, wait, how long we got an Uber? Because we were told we had 20 minutes. I was like, what, 87 questions? Like, we're not going to be able to get these questions out. I do, I, I don't know how you interview. Like, but I think you have the same style I do. I, I have subject matters that I want to hit, Definitely but I don't want to go down and then next and next and next. Your best, I was told by this, and he's like, Ian Eagle is one of these guys that I admire in the business who does every sport and calls every, every single sport. He's just amazing. His best advice to me was like, just listen. He was like, don't think through what you're going to say next. Just listen. And that's where your questions will come from if you're really listening and if you're connected. And they'll feel that. And so... We were just driving. I was driving like it was, I really was driving. People didn't think I was driving. We're in the snow, just driving. We're in talking. Cleveland. In Cleveland. Anybody knows me knows I can't drive. Um, but we're driving in the snow in Cleveland, this big old SUV. And I picked up on a few things. One, Kevin Durant and LeBron James at the time weren't really good friends. Like, not even bad friends. They just didn't know each other. I could hear them saying as we were getting ready and micing up the car, Oh, so you you move you well you like where you live? Okay, yeah, okay. Because when he went to the Warriors, he was like, "Where are you living up there?" He's like, oh, "I'm living." He's like, "Oh," and he's like, "Yeah, how's you? How are you and your family? You guys good?" I'm like, "They don't text." I can tell you right now, they don't text. They don't talk. Like yeah. you, I just knew that this was just new for them because of the conversation that they were having this the chit chat, and then um, then we started, and LeBron was just ready. He was he was ready. Like there was there was nothing that I wasn't told that I could not ask, but I could tell that those two players knew that they were the best and are the best in the league, right? You could feel that energy from them, right? And you could feel LeBron was more at ease than KD was because LeBron's more used to being in the the spotlight and yeah. handling it, and he's been doing it forever, Especially right? Especially at that point. Yeah, at that point, right? And handling social issues now. Um, and KD was he was there, not quite, but he was there. Um, and it was just a, it was just a, it was a beautiful thing to watch those two talk and and interact and even there were moments that didn't make it it was it ended up being sixty minutes right so how do you take it was like an hour of amazing stuff so how do you take an hour of amazing stuff and break it down in fifteen minutes and then for the commercial take it down to a minute give a thirty second version of it and then a minute version of it it was just it was beautiful it was a beautiful conversation and it was it was the softer side that you couldn't see where. Katie was like, you know, you have a family. How do you do that? How do you manage having a family and, and, and playing at the level you play and being a father and a husband? How much pressure is that on you? I thought that was a great question that he asked. That was him. a real question. Yeah, like, he's just like, because they want to know. Because you make it look like it's so easy and you're doing it all, right? And then he, and LeBron was very vulnerable and honest. And then I think that's just started it. And they talked about, and LeBron knew a lot because he's a student. He knew a lot about Katie and he didn't mind telling him he knew a lot about him. He wasn't trying to pretend like he didn't know where he grew up or what high school he went to or where he played ball at. Um, and vice versa, yeah. like for Kevin Durant too. But when we started talking about just the world and politics, uh, you know, LeBron just went in. He had a lot to say. He was very, very comfortable with his voice. And I, and I respect that because I don't think that 
if it wasn't for him being that comfortable, others wouldn't be that comfortable in that space. Because you always say you're not a, a, a leader, you're not obligated to be a hero, but I, you know, in so many ways you are. So you talk about LeBron being in that Uber and recognizing the fact that he knew who he was. Mm -hmm. I feel like you do that for so many. You know what I mean? And I think I reached out to you numerous times where I think that you're on this coast-to-coast -coast platform and you're on a huge national stage. And I just, I'm like, she know that she's in the moment and like so many people yeah. from different walks of life just like look up to her. And I think that's, I think that's special. I don't special. feel like I know that all the time. That's I so always funny. tell you that though. You do, but I don't, I don't feel that way. I literally don't feel that way. Like, you don't. I think that when I, when people do say, oh, I just admire all your, I'm, I am genuinely like, wow, thanks. I don't take it in. You know, I never get too high or get too low. There are moments where I'm like, oh, I'm the shit. And that's so rare, like rare. You should do that though. You should. Yeah, you got to feel yourself you and pat, pat yourself, yourself on the back. But it's rare. Like it's rare because I'm so hard on myself at the same time too. But I, I do, I do. I, I'm always overwhelmed by the response or by people saying, you know, whatever they say, however they treat me. Like I have, there are so many people who are in the game now who are like, oh my god, Carrie, I'm telling you, you're the bomb. You're this, you're that. I'm like, really? Okay, thanks. Like you know, I, I just do my job. Like I don't necessarily think. I'm so great. Like, I don't think that. I do think that I work hard, and I think that there are rare examples of of black and brown women like myself on television. I do know that. Um, I don't ever ever take that for granted. Or that doesn't, I try to really be a role model in that way, but like a flawed role model, because I mean, I'm not perfect. I don't want anybody to think, I don't curse, I don't drink, I don't make bad decisions. I don't want anyone to believe that, but I do want them to know that I always try to do my best and my heart is always in the right place. So speaking of your heart being in the right place and how you giving back and planting that seeds of, you know, that wealth of knowledge back at UCLA campus, right. something that I got an opportunity to yeah. speak at, you know, Brown yeah. Girls Dream, like how important is that to you? My um, foundation is for young women who want to be in this space, um, not even necessarily in this space, attorney, doctor, lawyer, whatever, entertainment in front of the camera, behind the scenes. Like, that's all I ever wanted. You asked me if I had a mentor, and I didn't. And that's what I wanted. I wanted a mentor so badly growing up. And so one day I had this idea, because all these young girls would email me and say, I need help. How can I do what you're doing? Can you connect me? And I felt so overwhelmed by them calling me all the time or emailing me, not calling me or sending me messages. So I just was like, I'm gonna create a foundation. Just in the middle of the night, I just had my friend do a website for me, just real simple. And then I put up um, something on my Instagram saying, hey, would you like to apply? We're doing an informal mentorship group where you're a mentee and I'll, and I'll take 20 of the best that I know in the business and very aspects of different businesses and they're the best like because my friends are the shit so I was like they're the best at what they do and they will mentor you they'll take a time away from their lives to make sure that they pour back because they know they have to do that because they needed that and they want to give back and um I, I thought I'd get maybe like 30 girls to apply because I, I had like 15 friends at the time who would do it. And we got 500 responses. Oh, wow. Of just one posting. And I was just like, what are we going to do? What is I going to do? I can't help all these kids. But my friends helped me walk through the process and we, we sifted through the interviews and we just took the best that we could take. And in terms of what we felt, a different group, but what we felt, the, the girls we felt like we could help. Um, and that was the first year. And it was just amazing. It's just a special thing. It's a special thing to give back. It's you a good never, feeling, right? It feels like it feels like 
almost better than anything you could ever do. Like, and to watch them flourish and grow and just to, even like picking up the phone and calling them and checking on them daily and making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. We had, I'm not going to get into particulars because I can't reveal her name, but we had this really famous woman call me. She was like, I heard you had this program and I'm looking for somebody to be my executive assistant. And if you could recommend a certain amount of girls for me, I'd like it. And she I sent three girls to her. She loved them all. She's in the, the process of interviewing them all. And this is life-changing. So these girls, will, one of the three, will end up working for this woman who is, oh, and when I tell you on level of superstar, superstar. And she was just like, I, I heard about your program and I thought it was great. I want to help create space too. I want to do the same thing. So I, uh, for me to be able to call up somebody who's like 23, 24, just graduated from college and be like, hey, do you want to go work for so-and-so? And they're just like, are you kidding me? Do you know what kind of call I wish? I, I wish I would have got that call. I wish somebody would have just, because different cultures do that for their own, right? Always we don't do that. Reach back. You know, be like, hey, get over here. No, 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 just let me see your resume. Just like, go, and go sit over there in the corner. You hired. We see it all the time everywhere else, but we don't see it in our own. Yeah. I want to be able to do, I want to make it easy for you. I want to create, stop all the nonsense, the, the, the tape and, oh, you got to have a minority or you got to have this or you got to have that. I'm like, here you go. Just go right there. Go to the front of the line. Like, I want to go to the front of the line. And nothing wrong with that because I'm not going to send somebody to the front of the line who's not qualified. I'm not sending you to the front of the line just because you're a black girl or just because you're a brown girl. You're going to the front of the line because you're qualified. Otherwise, you would be overlooked. Like, yeah. and it's, we get overlooked because you just don't think about it. Some people don't think about it. Some people are like, I know I got the job because at the time at ESPN, they were specifically looking for diversity. I want to be able to just get the job because somebody was like, you're qualified. Go right to the phone. Sometimes you're overqualified. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And I felt like that too. Like, just in my space, like dealing with a lot of kids, like when you talk about, not being discovered because you come from a small town, Racine County, just population right. 70,000 people. Right. And kids always were searching for exposure. So I wanted to be like that pipeline or that bridge uh -huh. to give back. Yeah. Give and you do that. You do that in so many ways. You do yeah. that for everybody. And I feel like that's where we're like You so do that connected. more than I do. No, we... I, I think, no, I think you do. We, okay, we, we're both We right. march it to the same <laughs> beat. We march it to the same beat. Talk, talk a little bit about that, the, the podcast that you did with, you know, Be Honest and, you know... I think I was the first guest on your podcast. This re oh, okay, so we did two versions, right? We did yeah. one where we just do radio, and then we went where we did like TV, and I was on Plus, and you were my first guest, and you were um, every well, I, as you will know, everyone loves you because they think you're so kind. But I just thought it was, I think it's great, and I know you don't like to tell your story always or lead with that, but the reason why I feel like your story is just another reminder of of just the power of thought and, and changing your trajectory and somebody giving you that yes or helping you out or believing in you. Like, it just, it makes a difference. It just makes a difference, especially young kids. Like, I don't think people realize the more you enforce a good quality that someone has, the more they start to believe that too, right? So if someone tells you the entire time you're growing up as you're a kid, like I used to always hear, you know, oh, you, you speak so well, you know? And it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was like, or, oh, I just love the way you speak. Your voice is great, or whatever it may be, right? Just all these different things when I was a kid. And I loved it, and I was just like, oh, that's great. And it ultimately, ultimately for me, made me more comfortable speaking in public because I was consistently told what I did right, not what I did wrong. And I feel like we don't have that enough with today's kids. Like they need to know what they do right so they can live in that space and, and be comfortable in their own skin and go out and try different things. And you had to be told what you were good at, like consistently. Yes. And to start believing in yourself, to start- That's that like, build up. Yeah, like, all right, I'm the shit, cool. 
Yeah, and I, and I think also you have to hear from people that actually went through some of the things you're probably going through right. that kind of look like you, all those things, because it's, it's easier to take criticism from people that been through the grind and been through it. For sure. It's, it's, it's more receiving. Like, yeah. if you tell me, like, CB, you're tripping, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll take it differently mm -hmm. from somebody else. Yeah, you're like, otherwise, anywhere. I, but you also, that's the other side of me. I am a tough cookie. My mentees will tell you, like, I'm hard. Still. Oh, my God. They, someone will say, send me something, or she'll say, I'll give an example. Another example. One of my girls was, <laughs> was going to do a Oh, phone. you know it's about to get real when you do the chuckle and the laugh I'm, before the story. Because I know I'm tough. <laughs> because, because I need them to understand the world is not going to give them any breaks. And what's happening now is not normal. And the favors that you get are just favors. And as you get older, it gets rougher. So I need you to treat it as if it matters. Don't act like it does not matter. So one of the girls was doing a, um, a phone interview for that person I told you who was looking for a, a um, an executive assistant. And her phone call time was at 11.30. Now this is my mentee. I, I, I think she's like the greatest ever. I love her. She's amazing. I do want to say all of that. She's so smart. I'm like, girl, you're going to take over the world. Like I feel like I want her to run my company right now. And her phone call was set for 11.30. And that person reached out to her at 11.30 and she didn't pick up. They called her again. She didn't pick up. And then that person texts me. It's like, hey, do you know where so-and-so is? We can't find her. So I have literally, if you could have filmed me, there was smoke coming out of my ears right now. I was like, really? That's so unlike her. I don't, I'm being all professional, but in my mind, I'm like, hot as hell. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm, yeah, that's it's not like her. It's so like her. Something, it must be an emergency. Let me, I'm full telephone boy, so let me find out and I'll get right back to you. You know, right? But I'm hot. So then I send her a text. She doesn't re reply. I put a, a couple of people on the case. And then she calls me back. She goes, hey, oh, my God, you know what? I think what happened was is that we just kind of got, you know, she's trying to clean it up. We, our times just got messed up. She was like, I, I do believe that I called her right back as soon as she called me. And she was, call she was on the calling other people, so I just kept missing her. I said, why didn't you pick up when she called you at 1130? I said, you weren't watching the phone? You, weren't, you knew you was going to talk to her at 1130. I was like, I'm really disappointed in you. This is unacceptable. I was like letting her have it. I'm not Hold her it. mom. And she was like, I need that tough love. Thank you. And I was like, all right, I'm going to fall back. But I, to me, that's unacceptable. You know you have somewhere to be at a certain time. And then you sit up here, you know, doing God knows what. I don't know what. I don't know. I don't know what the children yeah. are doing. I, mean, I don't know about this generation. It's all over the place. <laughs> I was so upset with her and I could just feel me getting so angry and I had to talk myself down. But I just know it's rough. And I was just like, I'm only mean, I'm only being this way. It wasn't even mean. I'm only being hard on you because I know that you're not gonna get opportunities like this and you can't take them for granted. Like you can't be like, like these millennials be like, whatever. By the way, did you know you're a millennial? Am I? Do you know the age range for millennials? What is it? 20, this is what I learned yesterday. I did this interview with Lindsey Vaughn. And it was millennial age range for this particular group was 23 to 39. I just made the cut. Yeah. You're an elder millennial, perhaps. Yeah. As they call I it. just made the cut. You're a millennial. So I'm not going to talk bad about them because you guys on are bad. I, I'm not taking that. You're not, you're I'm, not a millennial? I'm, I'm straddling the fence. <laughs> I'm going to stay on this side over here. I, but the thing is, and, and it could, it could, I feel like that's all just whatever, you know, research. But yesterday they were telling us that millennials, I'm digress, um, but they were saying millennials is a very vast age range and that um, the generation before is like from 1965 to 1979. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I don't, like, I can see somebody 50, 
55, 56 years old being Gen X. Like, doesn't make, to me, it doesn't anyway, but whatever. I'm an 80s baby, so I'm gonna hold on to that. Hold on to it. You're not, okay, you're not a millennial. Yes. Okay. I, yeah, you're not. So I have to ask you, <laughs> best piece of advice you ever got? In terms of? Just anything that stuck with you more than anything. God, there's so many. I'm gonna tell you one of my favorites. This sounds so crazy, but one of the one the earlier was Iron Eagle. When I told you, he told me to always listen. I just goes person personally, professionally, anything. When I'm doing interviews and I don't know if they're good or not, like I I just always try to listen to make it better. Um, the other thing is, I was watching a TV show and I posted about this the other day, and Diddy was talking to his making the band group, and he was like, "Your emotions will have you broke." Like, literally, you, you're attending the MTV Awards this year. You will be watching them from home next year if you don't get your emotions in check. Say that a little louder for the people Your emotions will have you broke. Like, it's the realest thing ever. If you make an emotional decision, especially when it's done around your profession, you'll never, ever be able to be successful in a way in which you can be completely self-sufficient. And so you have to learn to take your lumps and deal with it. And I just thought to myself, because especially, like, I listen, I'll, I'll run hot on some emotions and be ready to quit every five seconds, but I'll be broke, right? In the sense of you won't have any 